Hello, and welcome to Appreciating Real Estate, a production of the Ohio State University Center for Real Estate. I'm Mary Beth McCormick. Today, I'm speaking with Sandy Doyle Ahern, who is president of Columbus-based EMH&T. Sandy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It, it's so great to talk with you. I always love talking with you and hearing about what you're working on. I know you've got a really interesting job there at EMH&T. It's gotten more interesting, I think, recently. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your company and what you do there? Sure. Thanks for asking. So we're a company that was founded in 1926. And so we just had our 95th anniversary. And we are a firm that does civil engineering and surveying primarily. We also do land planning, uh, archaeology work, environmental work. We do construction oversight for communities. So mostly we employ civil engineers and surveyors, some scientists and planners, and then a lot of people who do CAD tech work. I'm sorry, people who do what work? CAD work. So CAD technicians, drafters, people that uh, know how to use AutoCAD, Civil 3D. Lots of people like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we've been trying to get together for a couple months now, and and I figured you were working on something really interesting and that (laughs) we'd hear about it when we could. Um, And then it turned out that that you've been involved with with bringing Intel to Central Ohio. So... Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. As, as a <laughs> lifelong resident, thank you for your work there. And I know it's still early with Intel, but can you talk about the sort of things your company would have to deal with with mm-hmm. a project like that? Sure. Yeah. So um, maybe to give you a little bit more framework of how we fit kind of into the community. So a lot of our work is in municipal Um, county, state, government. So we'll end up doing things like utility projects, roadways, bridges, highway, anything associated with design of public infrastructure. And then we also do a lot of private development work. So we might work with a hospital system, a housing developer. We do a lot of work at Easton, um, commercial development, things like that. The work that we're involved with with Intel sort of fits right in the middle. So it's what I would put into the economic development category. Because we sort of work in both spaces all the time, we tend to do a lot of the upfront economic development work when companies are looking to come to the region. And uh, truthfully, because I think the power of One Columbus and Jobs Ohio to really bring Ohio uh, as a place that companies should look to come to from all over the world, a lot of times we'll get involved in early upfront due diligence when companies look at the region. So the long story short, in this particular situation, this was a company that was looking at the region, uh, looking at the state of Ohio specifically, and then looking at a lot of other places across the United States to think about uh, citing their next facility. So our work involves the upfront due diligence, understanding what it would take from an infrastructure standpoint to be able to support a company like that. That's not unusual. We actually do it all the time with lots of companies that come to the region. Some select Ohio and some don't, but a lot of that upfront work is what goes into part of their decision-making process when they think about whether they're going to come to a particular location. And that's exactly what happened with Intel. That's great. (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. it's uh, So this is maybe a slightly different scale than you normally work with, but it's, it's, something that your company has been doing now for almost a century. Uh-huh. Long time. So it's, uh-huh. Yeah, so it's right in your sweet spot. Uh-huh. <laughs> How did you get into this? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question. 
question. So my pathway is a little bit unusual. Um, I actually started off doing environmental work. And the long story short is I came to Ohio to go to graduate school. I ended up in Columbus and um, had never been to Columbus before, but I actually completed an internship for my master's degree here in Columbus and um, thought I would go back to the East Coast, which was the Philadelphia area. And that was about 30 years ago. (laughs) I never left uh, and I would never leave now because it is definitely home. But I had the opportunity to start working in really in the development space, um, doing environmental compliance work. And so when I got involved with uh, looking at regulatory requirements, understanding wetlands and streams and other regulatory matters that came into play in the development world, um, I started right out of the gate doing that work. And it put me right into the space of working with a lot of civil engineers. So we would work side by side all the time for a project where I was handling the environmental aspects of it. And um, I worked with a bunch of different engineering firms actually back then, and EMH&T was definitely one I spent quite a bit of time with. So the long story short is I ended up coming to EMH&T actually 25 years ago, almost to the day, and um, started the environmental division for the company. And over time, my career just gave me a lot of different opportunities to do a lot of different things. I've played a, a number of different roles in the company over that time period that ultimately led in my very short snapshot of how I got to this place to um, running the company starting in really about 2008 with some partners and the previous president and then took over as president uh, in the beginning of 2012. Um, So a long journey to get here. It's been phenomenal. I I am incredibly grateful to work at EMH&T. It is a great company. I could probably talk about it all day long (laughs) just because it's an incredible group of people. And um, we've we've had a lot of opportunity to work on a lot of different projects. So it's been been a lot of fun and it's still a lot of fun. It is, it is a great company. I'm always <laughs> impressed with the folks I know there. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, so I know my students are wondering, so what was your master's in and how did you, what does environmental work mean? Yeah. So I actually have a bachelor's degree in biology and I was always interested in the environment. And so I actually ended up getting a master's degree in environmental science. For me in particular, though, I had started working as an intern in an environmental consulting company outside Philadelphia when I was 18. So every summer I went back there and I learned a lot and I knew that I really wanted to go on to graduate school and I knew that I wanted to be in consulting. So I was not born for a lab. I was not, I'm not the kind of person who, you know, can sit, sit behind those closed doors all the time. So I was much more interested in the problem solving aspect of the work, um, working with people to think through projects and come to good outcomes. So when I looked for my master's degree opportunity, I really looked for a program actually that was going to give me the depth and breadth allowing me to do not just the science of the work, but also the problem solving and what I call the art of the work. Um, So my degree is actually a master's in environmental science with a concentration in water resources. So I I leaned more towards the water side and um, clean water and water, the Clean Water Act and what that meant for habitats and so forth. It seems like your position now is a really interesting mix of the technical side, the, the quantitative side, if you will. But then I imagine there's a lot of negotiating that goes on, a lot of people skills that you need as well. Is that fair to say? It is completely fair. 
<laughs> it is. You know, I think one of the things that's unique about really any kind of consulting firm, whether it's an accounting firm or an engineering firm, anybody that works in the professional services space, you're really doing both. So you're doing the science, you're doing the the techno- technological work around solving the problems. But we're not here to solve problems unless we're working with people. So the reality is there's the art side to it. It's working with a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of people who have different goals, a lot of people who have different um, things that they have to achieve. So I'll give you a couple examples. So if we work with a municipality, they have a very specific purpose. They are there to protect public infrastructure. They are there to be good stewards of public tax dollars. Their decision-making process is related to being stewards of both. In the private development world, we're working with people who are doing projects, everything from Ohio State University, who might be looking at a campus expansion, to a hospital system that needs to upgrade their facilities, to a developer that wants to do housing and so forth. They're often driven by a different goal. They're trying to either accommodate the needs of people, time is always money, there's a different way of going about these projects. And so the interface between the two happens all the time. And I would say the art of the work that we do is really kind of understanding everybody's needs, because everybody's needs are equally important, and working to navigate everyone's goals being met. That's really less about the technology or the technological work of civil engineering or surveying or environmental compliance and much more about the art of working with people in different settings who need to to meet different goals. Um, so I've had a chance to do that really my whole career and uh, I love it. It's, um, it's one of the things I really enjoy because it's how things actually get done. You know, it's, it's interesting. You began with, well, my path wasn't real direct or real clear. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody I talk with in this space says that, <laughs> that, you know, very few people know when they're 16 what they're going to be doing mm-hmm. 30 years later. But when you look back, it seems as though everything you've done has, has helped prepare you for this moment, right? Your, your yeah. scientific background. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you had told me, 25 years ago when I stepped foot into EMH&T when I was in the field all the time, covered in mud with my muddy boots and my jeans and my field gear and uh, that I would be president of this company, I would have laughed and said, there's no way. (laughs) I mean, you know, so I, in my particular case, I think what you said is true, but it's not a prescribed pathway. It's not something where all of a sudden I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was really always about being in the moment and doing my job, what I was paid to do in that moment and doing it the best that I could, that opportunities came as a result Mm -hmm. of that. Um, And so I've never been a big believer that you can completely map out someone's career. It just doesn't happen because the reality is it's about taking risk and chances. And when those doors open for you to do something, maybe that you weren't sure you could do or didn't completely think you had the skill set for, the only way that door closes is if you close it. But if you open it and you work with other people to take those opportunities, things can happen for you. So, um, so no, I had no idea that this is what was going to happen. But I sit here today and um, I love it. I didn't get here because somebody just handed it to me. It came with a lot of hard work and working with a lot of other amazing people who are doing the same thing and they're on their own journey. So, um yeah, I didn't know, but I, I don't regret a single day of having done the work that it took to get here. And now 
the obligation I have for helping other people get to the places they'd like to be. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is such an important point that you, when you saw an opportunity, you took it and mm-hmm. you were comfortable with risk. Because I know lots of times people, women in particular, mm-hmm. feel that they need to be 100% proficient before they take the risk. Mm-hmm. You know, that they they know 100% of what they need to know before they try something new. I see this with some of my students. The male mm-hmm. students, not so much, but some of the female students. Yes. But it mm-hmm. sounds as though there were times where you just took a deep breath and jumped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing up this topic because I will tell you that um, in doing a fair amount of speaking at women's leadership events and things like that, small groups, large groups, this question comes up all the time. And and it could come from a 22-year-old student or it could come from a 60-year-old woman who's who's been in her career for a long time. It, it is stunning still how often it comes up that women are either afraid to take risk or think exactly like you said, that they've got to have it perfect before they can make that next step. And I'm not going to profess to be some expert. I just know that I think a lot of women do an excellent job of preparing themselves and they don't give themselves enough chance to just go for it. And, And I think the other issue becomes, you know, what's a victory in a risk moment? It's not that everybody needs to jump off the cliff and hope it lands well. It's small things. It's taking that next assignment that someone gives you that maybe you're not quite sure you're ready for, but your boss thinks you are, or mm-hmm. a colleague thinks you are. That can be a small risk. It doesn't have to be a career ending thing if it doesn't go well, <laughs> but some women don't even want to take that little moment. And so what I've found over the years is by taking those little moments and they go well, or you learn from it if it doesn't go well, the next time, maybe it's a little bit of a bigger risk. And the next time, a little bit of a bigger risk. And eventually you learn, some people more quickly than others, that it's worth taking the risk, but you have to take them. Because if you don't, you will stay pretty much in the same pathway. And for some people, maybe that's fine. That's okay. But for other people who have interest in growing in what they do, they have talent and expertise, and they want to lend their voice at various tables, you got to take the chance. So um, it's not that I knew that (laughs) at 25 or whatever. I just, for me, it was always about wanting to do a good job. Um, I was always going to be the person that showed up on time, take the assignment, ask the question. If I didn't know, if I screwed it up, I'm going to own it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had those difficult moments in my career too, but I would never be sitting in this seat if I wasn't willing to take those chances and then follow through on what I say I'm going to do. Don't say I'm going to do it and don't do it. So it's, and that still sticks with me even today. So what would you say your superpower is? Hmm. Um, (laughs) my superpower, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a superpower as much as what's on my mind all the time now. I feel like I'm at the point in my career where I love my job. I love coming to work as hard as it's been. And it's been really hard the last couple of years between COVID and all the the kind of scariness of things happening in the world at the same time. But mm-hmm. But I've learned enough about what I really care about that the community for me is really, really important. So when I say that, um, I feel really grateful to live here. 
I think we are an incredible community in central Ohio. I really do. Like I said, I never, ever thought I I would have stayed here, but here I am and I wouldn't leave now. So I think everything I've learned about the development business, about housing, about how people have access to education or don't, have access to transportation or don't, have access to workforce development or don't, you know, so on, has given me the opportunity to really um, think about what I want to do for the rest of my life in the community. So the, I guess it's, uh, it's not a superpower really, but it's really just been the culmination of kind of understanding um, what's happening in terms of regional development and how to think about benefiting other people Mm -hmm. in combination with just being really grateful. I I mean, look, I have a great job. I have a great company. We have wonderful people. It's not always easy. We have some really tough projects and tough moments, but at the end of the day, we have a good thing. And so how do I use that and use gratitude to be in a place where I can make a difference in the rest of the community and whatever that might look like. Um, And so that's to me where I'm at with it. And um, I do spend a lot of time on various boards and in community work and um, trying to think about how we bring the region to being its best for everybody. And I mean that sincerely, and it's not easy. We've got a lot of work to do, but I guess that would be where I feel I can bring the most benefit at this point in my life. I'm not the kind of person to just walk away and put my feet up and say, you know, good luck, everybody. That's not my, not my style. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 it's clear you have a passion for what you do and you have a passion for the community and making things better. And you have so much respect. I mean, people respect you so much in the community. Everyone that I've talked to about you is like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and somebody gave me the advice, you know, we were at a dinner together. Oh, go sit with Sandy. You'll learn a lot if you sit with <laughs> Sandy. So. Oh, sorry about your luck. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, it was true. It was true. <laughs> That's funny. Have you had a mentor in your life that that helped you? You know, not one specific person. I've been really fortunate to have different people for different times of my life. And I don't think I knew it in the moment. I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody that really sought that out because I never had it to begin with. But I realized looking back in my own life, that were people who came into my life at certain points that really taught me something or gave me a chance or, or whatever the case may be. And fast forward, you know, today, I'm not sure it's so much about a mentor as well as as much as mentoring opportunities. And those come from different people. So, you know, what mattered to me 25 years ago was understanding the job. How do I do the job the best I can? How do I get technically strong? How do I put the work in? How do I do the best by our clients? What do I do when I make a mistake? And that realm was more about um, understanding what I had signed up for in my career. So, So the mentors I had in that moment were more people that were in the work already that I could learn from. Mm -hmm. But I sit here today and I think about mentors and it's not that anymore because that's not where I'm at and it's not what I need. Today, it's more about who are the people in the community that care about the same things I care about? What's their perspective? Um, I'm a white female. I've had certain experiences by being a white female. I'm Mm -hmm. not an Asian man. I'm not Mm -hmm. a black woman. You know, all of the people that I can encounter now um, who can share their perspective and can teach me what 
their perspective is, that's what I consider the mentoring. So it's probably in the moment, not so much a single person. And I, I don't want a single person. I would rather have a diverse group of people who I can pick up the phone and call and get their perspective than one individual at this point in my life. So you have more of a, a personal board of directors, personal. Yeah. Board of yeah. I think it's a network. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. fair. It's a, it's a network of people. Um, and I would never want that network to be stagnant. I think right. if I answered that question three or four years from now, it might be, you know, a, a different person or 10 years from now, whatever the case is. Right. I've always been grateful for the people in my life who are honest with me. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been lucky enough to have a few people who I know really care about me, share values, share my values, and are honest, you know, kind, but honest, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's sometimes it's hard to have that adult conversation, if you will. Yes. You know, for someone to say, well, here's what, you know, um, you're doing this thing again that you do and (laughs) it often doesn't turn out well. So um, it's great when we can find people in our lives who can help us that way, I think. Absolutely. And be open to it because there's nothing wrong with it. It It makes us all better. Yeah, exactly. I make mistakes every day and I'm always grateful when someone points it out to me. Sure. Well, I don't know who doesn't. If they think they don't, then <laughs> that's a mistake, actually. <laughs> um, so I have to think 25 years ago when you were in your boots in the mud, um, that there weren't a lot of other women doing what you were doing. No. Is, is that? No. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I <laughs> I think in, in environmental work in general, there do tend to be more women just because I think there's an arm to environmental work where people feel it's a sort of nurturing kind of career. So in that world, I do think you see more women. In my specific instance, uh, no, it's been a very male-dominated experience, and that's okay. you know. And, and part of that has to do with um, the, the pedigree of the company back then. It had to do with the clients that we work with, a lot of people in the development community, law firms, places where women just didn't or hadn't yet quite made the inroads that maybe they're making today. Um, so yeah, there's no question. And I've had my share of interesting encounters over the years in that realm. But, um, you know, I think back then uh, it was a lot harder for me than it is now because when I was younger, I think those difficult moments where you really feel you're either alone or you certainly don't look like anybody else in the room, it can be a pretty isolating experience. Um, But fast forward today, it doesn't bother me at all. Maybe that's my age speaking at this point or my kind of like, hey, you know, I don't know that I care anymore because um, I'm just going to come and do the best job I can. I'm always going to have that attitude. I had it 25 years ago. I still have it today. I do think you have to earn your place at the table. And I think that's true for anybody. And it doesn't matter what you look like or what your what how you affiliate yourself. But I do think, um, you know, you have to know what you're talking about. You got to learn the job for any position that you might be in. And when you do that, then you deserve a seat at the table and you can't be afraid to take it. So I don't, it doesn't bother me or I don't really think about it much anymore. Did you ever feel you were being held to a higher standard than others? Um, I would say definitely tested. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, Mm -hmm. there were some rooms that I was in, uh, early in my career, um, that where I was tested and 
you know, learning moments. Holy cow. There, there's been some opportunities where in that moment, I've had some interesting challenges that today now, if I speak about it, I sort of tell the story as something that is in my past that I've learned from, but I can tell it anecdotally today and it's just a story. In the moment though, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty tough because you wonder why you're being tested and what, what, what is meant to come from that. Um, I think I have a better perspective to be able to look back on those moments and really think about why they happen. And, and I think for me, I've concluded that in most cases when they happen, it's about power and people want to put you in their place, in your place, if they think they're more powerful than you are. Um, and t- none of that matters to me today, but yeah, in those mm-hmm. moments, they're, it's pretty tough. So I would say more tested than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is challenging. That's I hadn't thought about it in the power context, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I fear that still today, if, if people look at a an organization and they don't see people that look like themselves, that they say, "Oh, I'm not interested," or mm-hmm. you know, or even a, a field, you know. So um, we don't have nearly enough women. We don't have nearly enough people of color. I think in in our industry mm-hmm. and. And I struggle with, you know, how how do we how do we increase this? D and I is a big, um, you know, it's, it's a hot topic today, but it's 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 something that you and I have known about for decades here. Uh-huh. Any advice on how to increase diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, I mean, this is such a huge topic. We could talk about it the whole time. But you know, one thing I would say, and so I'll, I'll speak of it this way in terms of the greater community. We sit in a region where people think about this and they care about it, genuinely care about it. I think there's a lot of people here who want to do better. So it's not just lip service. I also know there's a lot of people who feel that it is, right? So we've got to find ways to cross over those bridges where people aren't sure if companies or individuals are well-meaning when they talk about being more diverse or bringing equity and inclusion to the table. I do think that. we have to do a better job of showing people a pathway. We have to provide educational opportunities. We have to provide workforce development and training where people get access to the kinds of positions where it would put them in that place. Mm-hmm. But if you don't see that every day or you don't even know that there's a pathway to get there, you don't even realize there's a career opportunity. So we can talk about diversity all day long, but if we're not helping people see the pathway to entry in the first place, it really doesn't, it's not going to work. So I actually think while we have a long way to go, we have to continue to look in the mirror as a community. I do think that there is a lot of work being done to provide those pathways and opportunities. And I actually have a lot of confidence that as a region, we're going to continue to make this a priority and find ways, whether it's workforce development, whether it's access to transportation to get to that job, whether it's providing people a safe place to live so they can be educated and not worry about paying their rent, et cetera, to get into that workforce. That pathway for me is something that I'm personally passionate about and where I can see us making some real progress especially with companies, not just Intel and Amgen and other incredible companies that have come to the region, but the, the opportunity for people here to get into 
a workforce that maybe they wouldn't have thought they had access to even five years ago is there today. And so partners like Ohio State, like Columbus State, like Capital, like a lot of other schools, CCAD, schools that have access to workforce to help bring them and show them how to get there, we've got to work on that. You're never going to increase diversity or include everybody if we don't provide the, the doors being open for other people, if that makes sense. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are you most proud of in your career? <laughs> um, boy, uh, you know, I guess I would say, as I've said, I do love my job. I love this company very much. I would say I'm probably most proud of being able to love it so much and have been able to raise a family mm-hmm. and be in the community work at the same time. Um, and, you know, neither, not any one of those things has fallen off the table for me. I've found ways to make all of them work. I would never feel satisfied as a person if I couldn't do all of those. And mm-hmm. they're still a huge priority for me today. So I think what I'm most proud of is being able to do all of that. And um, I love it. And I'm going to keep doing it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's terrific. <laughs> um, what what is success to you these days? Um, you know, I I don't I think you have to define success on quality of experience. I've never been somebody that defines it by monetary value or material goods or anything like that. I mean, you can do that, I guess, but I I find it relatively artificial because having a lot of things I don't think is all that meaningful unless that's all you really care about. So I would define success much more truly on your quality of experience. And so what I mean by that is um, the people you know, the people you've interacted, have you tried to make a change in the community? Have you raised your family in a way that you feel proud of? Have you gotten out of the way to give someone else an opportunity? Have you created a space for other people to to rise up or move on in their own way. And I, that to me is success. I, I think, uh, and I say that actually to the employees here, I tell them this all the time. It's, it's, if we want to define success on revenue, okay, well then what do you want to be? Do you want to be 50,000 employees and a billion dollars in revenue? Well, so what, what does that, what does that do? Or do you want to be a place where, we know each other. We have a culture where we care about each other. We provide opportunity for people to grow. We know that we're going to protect you when there's a problem, things like that. I, I, that to Mm -hmm. me is success. And so, um, I, I am so fortunate to have incredibly wonderful and amazing friends and people in this community that I have learned so much from. I could name them all here, but they'd probably kill me for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. That to me is success. I, I, you know, no one gets to the end of their life and looks back and says, gee, I really wish I'd done that project differently. Or Mm -hmm. I wish I had made more money on that project. I think people look back and they think, who were my friends? How did I interact with my family? Did I contribute something in my circle where I feel good about it? I created value for myself or others. I think that's what people look back on when they come to the end of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so that is always going to be the litmus test for me for success and not so much about dollars and what car you have. And I don't care about that stuff. 
Has that changed for you over time? No. Nope. Okay. I've always been that way. Okay. No, I've just been able to articulate it better. I think oh. when I was younger, um, I wouldn't have known how to quite define it the same way. And my experiences over time from being able to work with lots of really amazing and interesting people over the last 30 years and learn from them helps me articulate it differently. But no, I, it hasn't changed for me. I think it's just kind of how I'm wired. Um, and gratitude is real for me. And I I just don't want to ever sit on my um, on my butt at work and say, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'd rather yeah. be the person that's going to go out and try to do something about it. Yeah, that's great. What about risk? You know, we, we in our business, we hear about risk a lot. You're dealing with yes. things that um, <laughs> um, <laughs> where risk is sometimes hard to manage. Yep. How, how do you define risk? Well, if I'm if I'm going to say in the context of the company, risk is going to be a lot of different things for us. Risk is going to look like our liability for the things we design. So we're designing and and um, putting plans out for things that the public interfaces with all the time. Could be a bridge design. It could be setting up for um, Cannon Drive at Ohio State. It could be lots of different things. So there's a certain inherent business risk to what we do that might look a lot different than other companies that think about risk a little bit differently. So for us, risk is, is actually quite big and prominent and sort of with us all the time. And it, and it informs how we operate and informs how we work together, informs kind of quality control, things like that. And then there's risk associated with what's our future look like? Who do we want to be? Where do we see the company in the coming decades? There's risk associated with that. Um, and then I think for me personally, risk is about the community again. And I know I keep coming back to it, but that's where my head is all the time. So mm-hmm. what what are we risking? What are we, we sit here today as we think about risk and understanding not all risk is bad because risk causes you to take chances as well. Where, what do we risk becoming here in the community? What's Columbus and its region going to look like in 50 or 100 years? Who are we going to be? You know, is that a risk we want to take? And is it a mitigated risk or is it risk where we just sort of throw it all out there and see what we become when we grow up, so to speak? So it's a, it's a tough question to answer because I could sort of come at it a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. to give you a snapshot, that's kind of literally what I wake up thinking about every day is what's going on at emh and Are my people here Okay. Are we taking care of our clients? Mm -hmm. And then the risk then, or the conversation or the thought then goes to, okay, what's going on in the community, various organizations I'm involved with, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing there? And then again, another layer, the greater Mm -hmm. community and so on. And you know, you can keep going. We have lots of risk in the United States these days that look a lot different than they did 15 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It, It does seem that the community is, at an inflection point, mm-hmm. um, it feels like we've been we've been growing all along, and maybe I mean I've been here my whole life, and so it doesn't feel that things have changed that much. But now it feels like um, we're at a crossroads, and you know how that is managed. It feels like there's more risk there than there has mm-hmm. been traditionally in the area. So um, I'm I'm just so grateful that there are people like you involved with setting the direction as we move forward as as 
as a region um, to help manage that risk. A lot of which, as you say, we, we don't we don't know yet what's out there, but I'm glad that people like you are thinking about it. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I think there's a lot of great people thinking about it. And I, I and I would say this. Yeah, I think there is a lot of risk. I do. But I also think it's a lot of opportunity. And so I don't want to ever come at it with the idea that risk is a bad thing. I do want to make sure we are responsible with that risk, though, as we grow, as we do more workforce development, as we work hard on including all people in what the work that we're doing as we're caring for our African-American friends who are in a very difficult situation. We have an obligation, I believe, to think about that and be better. But the reality is um, it comes with so much opportunity for people. And so I think if we always have the lens that we want to do better for the next generation, I, I personally believe a lot of what we're doing today isn't even going to be for us. It's going to be for the next generation. And so you see a lot of um, excitement in students. You see students coming to the region who want to be here, who want to live in this city. Lots of people coming to Columbus going, wow, this place is not what I thought. It's pretty cool here. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. we are pretty cool here. So, you know, I think I think while risk is imminent. Um, I, I also think we have to look at it if we all work together in a lot of different spectrums, whether it's government, nonprofits, private businesses. If we're all trending the same way, we're all always going to come at it a little differently, but we're trending the same way that we want the region to be a great place for everybody, then I think the risk is okay and we have mm-hmm. to look at it through the lens of opportunity. What we can't do is become complacent. Complacency is what would hurt us. And right now, I don't, my sense isn't we're not, we're not a complacent region, that we're actually an energized region and we, we want to do what we can for everyone. I mean, what I love about it is I think we're a region where we, um, there really is something to, you know, people talk about the Columbus way. I mean, um, in some areas, some people I've worked with um, outside of Columbus think that the pie is fixed. And if, if you get a bigger piece, that means I get a smaller piece. But here, you know, I really think that the pie is growing and there's, and there's a sense that there's really enough to go around. And if, if one of us is successful, then all of us can be more successful. Uh-huh. And I, risk, I agree with you. I don't think risk is a negative thing. I go back to my background, my investment background, where, you know, higher risk is, is tied to higher return. <laughs> Yeah. And if you don't take risk, then, you know, sure, with investments, you can keep all your money in a savings account or in, in treasuries but and really limit your risk. But then you really limit your upside, too. So mm-hmm. it, it's how to measure and mitigate it, mm-hmm. as you said. Yeah. And I think in general, uh, you know, in the region mm-hmm. right now, there there is a momentum shift, I think. You know, we're seeing <clears throat> our demographics are changing. We're now quite populous as a city, one of the fastest growing in the country. I mean, we're in a position where, as I said early on in our conversation, there is responsibility that comes with that risk and opportunity. But I think we're positioned well if we make those decisions to reach out and into the community, into the entire community and spread that opportunity for everybody. And it isn't going to be easy. I I don't want to sound like rose-colored glasses because I I think that 
this is a lot of work. And I think it's going to be um, something we've got to continue to pay attention to. The one thing we need to do is we need to do a better job of making the Columbus Way for everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, I've lived the Columbus Way. You know, it really is about public-private partnerships. We've done a lot of work in that space, understanding what that means. But I also know there's a lot of people in the community that don't like it and they don't think it has reached them and they don't feel like they've ever seen any benefit from it. So I think we have a moment to say there is something special here. There really is when it comes to those types of partnership opportunities, that Columbus way, what we are obligated to do now, and this is regional leaders, this is everybody, nonprofit, private business, government, et cetera, working together to make that Columbus way really be um, something that reaches out to a lot more people than maybe some have felt that it has in the past, but the principle of it is there and it's a great one. We just have to find ways to integrate more of the community into the benefits of working together. Mm-hmm. I love that you, um, you're, you're living this. You're, you're definitely putting your, your time and effort where, where your mouth is. You're involved, not just with the Columbus Partnership, but you're involved, I think, with the YWCA, mm-hmm. at the Nature, Nature Conservancy. Um, there's a whole list of... of <laughs> groups that you spend your time with. Mm-hmm. Do you have any particular advice for our students who are coming out now? It's, I want to say it's a difficult time for them to graduate, but I think it always feels difficult when you're starting out in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess what I would say is this, because I, I actually have a college-age child myself who's not quite ready to graduate yet, but but is heading in that direction. I find, I guess this is what I've said to my own kids. I think right now that the people like myself who have been in their careers for a period of time, we are the people who have an obligation to really work on changing policy to make things a better place for the community because we're in a space where we can do that and hopefully we have enough influence to make policy change that helps Columbus and the region be a better place. But young people coming out of school right now, they have a greater impact, I think, with changing hearts and minds. I think that they are often vocal. They care about their community. They care about people. They care about their own opportunities for the future and that of others. And they can be very, very influential in speaking up in a way that helps set the pace for really changing hearts and minds around how we be better. I think for entering the workforce, um, you know, it, it is tough. I, 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 you know, some people really like this remote thing and they want to work remote. Other people don't like it at all and they want interaction. And so I think if you're young and you're coming out into the workforce now, it is a little tricky. I, I worry a bit about all the remote work for someone who's young and new. You, you do lose a lot of social interaction. You lose the learning that comes from being together. But mm-hmm. I think each student graduating, each person coming into the workforce needs to think about who they are and how they will thrive. And if they can thrive in that environment, you know, it's okay to look for that kind of work and it may be great for them. If they need the personal interaction, they've got to fight for it because right now, if you go into a job and you don't really have those mentors or that human connection as much as you need it, there is a window there that will be difficult, I think, for them if they don't get that. So everybody's different. Everybody has a different need. But I do think they have to think about that a little bit. On the flip side, 
everybody's looking. <laughs> there isn't <laughs> anybody <laughs> that I know of in any profession that isn't looking for good people and good talent. So I don't think um, that should be a huge concern. I think it's, you know, putting your voice out there, show up to the job. Do what you say you're going to do. Be a reliable employee. Be somebody that others can count on and the doors will open. So I wouldn't be afraid at all. I think they're actually going to come out into a market that's in um, great need of talent. The remote thing is a little tricky and they've got to see where they fit with that in their own personality. But boy, there's jobs. There's jobs. And don't be afraid to take that first entry point. It may not be the perfect thing for you, but it will not be the only thing you do in your whole career. I think I can speak from a lot of experience on that one. If you show up, do the work, be reliable, the doors open, and that's what that's what people mm-hmm. should do. That would be my mm-hmm. advice, and it's what I've told my own kids. That's great advice. Um, it, it, it's hard. I think people um, sometimes forget that that we're talking about a job, not a career. Correct. Yes, it is a journey. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. let it be a journey. It's okay. You know, the one one thing I would say, um, sometimes I think students coming out are p- impatient. They want immediate return on their investment. They want to have that fancy title or the big promotion very quickly. And the one caution around that is you have to learn the work. You have to gain the credibility. You have to gain the respect of your colleagues and your clients, whatever business you may be in. And that means putting in the work, learning the the skills that are needed for whatever your profession is and being okay with that because the journey will give you lots of opportunities for those good things to happen. Um, And so, you know, it's just something where I think if you're too quick and you want the next thing all the time, you actually don't have the opportunity to learn everything you want. And, and other colleagues may not find that particularly enamoring. And so it's something to think about. <laughs> it happens. Really good point. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> um, Sandy Doyle Ahern, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I've, I've really enjoyed this. And I, I could do this for another couple hours, but I know that you... <laughs> You have a company to run. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. It's actually really nice to have a dialogue with somebody and talk about the region and careers and, and appreciate everything that you are doing as well. Thank you. Thank you.